So hi, Karan. Hi, Shazma. How are you? During these unprecedented times. Yeah, these are very unprecedented times. So how yeah. are you holding up? Um, yeah, I'm doing fine. I okay. am uniquely well built for situations of quarantine. Like I love being home all the time in my jam jams. Like I wish this was my life. I mean, I do wish that I could go out and like see my friends and stuff, but I do wish that I could work from home and like spend more time at home with my partner and my cat. I'm also I, people who are having a hard time, I should say. Yeah, so I think I'll first acknowledge that I know this is a very difficult time for a lot of people. Um, people who live alone in apartments and large urban centers or in a rural community where they don't have family members who live with them or uh, just other community links that they have. So this can be a difficult, very isolating time. Um, obviously, you can watch only as much as as much TV as you can, or you can only read as much. And eventually, we do thrive on our community contacts, links, friends, social lives. Overall, I'm also like you, very well placed in terms of um, have a family. I have uh, three animals at home who I never get enough time to spend with. Um, and working from home has been a dream forever. So that's also working out pretty well. But um, but what we wanted to do was, given the fact that we are all uh, teleworking and working at uh, remotely, we still wanted to do our monthly episode and um, kind of staying focused with um, uh, just what's happening around us. Not necessarily Quebec politics, because we've had to realign our uh, points of discussion because there's something that's definitely pressing and affecting everyone equally around the world. So of of course it's going to be centered around COVID and its impact and how um, it's impacting our lives overall. But yeah, we'll still try to keep it within the context of how it's affecting our communities in Quebec and Canada. say that um, everything that we are talking about is our kind of interpretation of all of the things that we read and see and think about. So while you're listening to this, you know, we're always advocating for people to think critically. Please evaluate all of your sources. We are not an exception to that rule. Evaluate all of your sources, observe everything that everyone is saying, and critically think and come to your own uh, conclusions, because that's really important in a time where we need we need to be mindful of all of the information that's out there. And we've said this before, we're podcasters, we're uh, community folks, so we don't claim to be experts at anything. We just bring uh, things that we read, information Excuse that we me, have. We're experts in some things, like <laughs> I can make a really good curry. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I'm not a medical expert. Let's just say that then. Thank I'm you. not a Let's medical expert, so my discussions <laughs> about COVID-19 are not medical at all. But uh, I agree with you. It's very important to validate sources, be very careful and mindful of uh, where we're getting our information. So yeah. what are the like the main uh, things that have emerged for you uh, in this ongoing crisis and what's been affecting all of us? Um, I mean, I think like, I think there's a few things that we can talk about, but let's start with how our, our governments have been responding to the to the crisis. Mm-hmm. What's your evaluation of this? So I think for me, the, the one thing, and I may sound a bit repetitive because I've spoken about this to a bunch of people, I think there has been obviously this whole uh, delay in how the response happened in North America. And I'm not going to speak too much about what happened in the US versus in Canada, because I know that people have seen how the administration in the US responded, but I was overall satisfied or have been satisfied with the government response, both at the provincial level in Quebec and the federal government. I do think there was a bit of delay in doing some research uh, ever since the crisis happened. There was enough scientific information, not necessarily evidence out there, 
that had projected some sort of a pandemic, et cetera. And obviously this um, started happening in China in the, in the end of November, I believe, or early December. So I think there was still a bit of, oh, it's happening there. It's not happening at our shores attitude in the beginning. But when we did spring into action, I think I've been pretty um, heartened in the way both the provincial and the federal and even local municipal government has dealt with um, the situation. Everyone's trying to adapt to it day by day. So overall, I've been satisfied with certain concerns, which I guess we'll talk about uh, today. Yeah. What have, you, um, what have you felt? Well, I mean, I do feel like there are some things that we can, there are lessons that we can learn from this with regard to um, preparedness and mm-hmm. with regard to um, uh, responsiveness. Um, but uh, uh, I, I agree with most of what you've said. I mean, I think we could always be better. The thing that's giving me the most kind of anxiety or things to think about is the impacts that this is having on people that are, are quite vulnerable um, mm-hmm. and how, in fact, it exposes what is fundamentally uh, broken in our society, right? Absolutely. So institutional so, inadequacies, right? Both infrastructural, uh, institutional, at all levels of government society. So I think the few things that really um, have come to the fore now, recently we've had this whole expose, as it were, of what happened at this long-term care facility in Dorval, which is not very far from where I live, and how residents of this uh, long-term care facility, which is which is actually a private care facility, uh, pretty expensive, not very affordable for just everyday folk, and just in terms of the care, the protective gear access to uh, the personnel in the care facility and the, the mortality rate, which actually went up. Uh, sorry, the fatality rate, my bad. Yeah. Fatality rate that went up and a lot of people died. And there's still inclu- inc- inconclusive information coming out in terms of whether it was only uh, because of COVID infections or contagion or other reasons. So that's one thing. And yes, we talk about uh, long-term care facilities, old age homes, etc., and the infrastructural problems that exist, uh, both in this province and across Canada. But this crisis definitely, I think, has brought it front and center. I hear François Legault, the Quebec Premier, speak about care of the elderly pretty much every day when he does his press conference at 1 p.m. I think that's definitely uh, an issue that's close to his heart. He's always talked about even before his election, um, during the campaign, in the government uh, platform and agenda, there's always discussion or there's investment to the government in the budget that they came out with. They actually put in more money towards care of the elderly. But I think there's infrastructural inadequacies that have really come to the fore in terms of how we treat our elderly, how these facilities are run, what sort of protocols are in place in terms of um, evaluating whether they are properly equipped, whether personnel that they need. I I think in one of the floors of the facility in Dorval, there was only two personnel and the other floor, there was actually absolutely none to take care of the people. So I think that's that's very telling. And um, now obviously a criminal investigation, a police investigation has been ordered specifically at that facility. But um, that's one thing that has really emerged in terms of uh, how our system is broken. Yeah. Um, the thing also that I've been thinking a little bit about is how, I mean, we can, we can talk a little bit more about this, although I'm not super familiar with remote rural communities and how, how this is having an impact there. But I've been thinking a bit about our homeless population Mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. how this actually is having an impact on them and what what we're going to see after, you know, we get out of this eventually, right? Because I think that many homeless people right now are on the streets because a lot of the respite centers and sh- shelters and things like that have closed. You know, they're not able to, the staff, they are not able to actually practice social distancing. So they, they're not either, they're not servicing shelters anymore or they've just like straight up closed. And I think it has this effect of actually putting this population that's already vulnerable at further risk 
And what does that mean then when we come out of this? Like, what does that mean for that population? And what does it mean for our resources? So the thing that I think about the most is we talk about this all the time, right? The kind of inequities in our society and vulnerable people that are uh, uh, more at risk institutionally and structurally because of the way in which we've organized our, our mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So like obviously marginalized people are one, mm-hmm. homeless people, indigenous people, immigrants and asylum seekers are another who are institutionally excluded or people who are kind of uh, lower on the socioeconomic ladder. Yeah are included. And while we have, you know, a really accessible healthcare system here, and while like, it's not that I'm criticizing where I live, like, I I am very grateful to live in a place like this, particularly given a situation that we're going through, like right now, but I have to say, this is just kind of exposing all of the things that are our issues in our society to begin with. And it's not that the government doesn't have the capacity to deal with these things. Like we've seen in government response, how, how quickly they've mobilized to get help to industry, to get help to keep our economy uh, floating, right? But if there's one thing that capitalism has taught us over the years is that if we're going to live in this system, you actually have to have a healthy, high morale working class. And I don't Absolutely. see how you do that when you, when you exclude people at a, as a, at a baseline anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, in response to that too, the efficiency in which the BC government has responded to the need for extra healthcare workers by recruiting immigrants who have credentials, yeah. foreign credentials to work in their system to kind of migrate them over. Clearly, we can do this. Like, Absolutely. It's Absolutely. very clear that we have the capacity to do this. The fact that we're doing it now in the midst of a crisis is telling to me because to me, it means these people's work is valued over their life. Absolutely. And I think the barriers that we've placed and I think uh, transitioning uh, medical professionals from other countries into our medical system is the perfect example. The barriers people face of anybody who's an immigrant who has credentials from another country, and then they have to go years and years of waiting and paperwork and examination and accreditation and, and the resources they have to invest in actually becoming uh, accepted as a professional, a certified professional in Canada. It's a pandemic like this that requires us to think and be like, oh, if somebody's a, a medical profession, professional in, I'm just going to say India or Iran, they do have the medical training there that can easily be migrated into our system here. Those barriers are also reasons why we have these shortfalls in our system, why, don't, why, do, why we don't have the nurses and the personnel in our clinics and our, in our hospitals. Yeah. And I think also, um, for me, when we talk about rural communities or communities which are mostly vulnerable, uh, we also assume the protocols and the investment that we put in urban centers can e- easily be translated to what's required in a remote uh, area or a rural setting. And when, I think, three weeks ago, the Quebec government declared that uh, eight to, I think it was eight regions, which were more isolated, have had to be completely shut off from any sort of access, it's important to remember that you cannot have easy access to these remote communities and people from urban centers should not be allowed to just freely travel in a situation like this because the infrastructure, the lack of uh, healthcare access in these communities is a real problem. Yeah. So, and that speaks not just about remote and rural communities, but also uh, First Nations communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a doctor who may visit like once in three weeks or, or four weeks where there's one clinic for a population of 5,000 people, it will not be able to deal with a pandemic or a contagion that is obviously transported from or imported from from outside. These rural communities, they have to be protected even further because contagion in an urban setting versus in a rural setting has very, very different consequences. Absolutely. I think that we make assumptions, right? So going back to like 
how we've responded globally to this uh, crisis or this pandemic. You know, maybe we were a little bit late in, in reacting. When we spoke earlier about preparedness and responsiveness, I think that we had enough kind of uh, data to at least prepare us to be responsive when it did arrive to our shores. But I think, and we talked about this the last time, we often think about these things as being away from here, right? Absolutely. So you know, we, we assume that we're in a bubble in the West, right? That we, we uh, have systems in place that can deal with these things a lot better. And I mean, I'm guilty of making that assumption as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and just to know that that's just not true in situations of a pandemic, that's really, that's humbling, you know? Absolutely, that's absolutely, absolutely. And um, I think um, just to kind of conclude this discussion about vulnerable populations, I think there's a whole discussion that needs to be had uh, about people who are currently waiting in, in detention centers at the border. And obviously the, the, the extent of the crisis is different in different parts of the world. I know Europe has uh, finally come around to addressing this issue because it's a, a more pressing issue. But I think that's another discussion that needs to be had in people who are waiting, who are stateless, who don't have the papers, who are waiting at the border at a detention center, who don't have access to healthcare, who have no way to go. And a situation like this just kind of prolongs their vulnerability or their sense of anxiety, because not only are they waiting for a bureaucratic process, but they're also waiting for when will this pandemic end, right? When yeah. will all this, these lockdowns be removed so that they can go back to the, the bureaucratic process? So I think that's another discussion that's very important. We need to reflect on it. We need to be aware of the impact it has on those people who don't qualify as either Canadian citizens or permanent residents or who have the right paperwork or, or work visa or what have you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and to segue to the next point, which is, you know, like, where do we go from here? Go from here, yes. yes. Right? And everything that the government's kind of doing in the garb of, I'm going to say in the garb of, because I think there's obviously more debate will happen around uh, the government's response and uh, just the democratic principles, maintaining our democratic principles and freedoms. So Yeah, I mean, I think that there's... Like I was having a conversation with someone um, like an elder in my in our community recently, and they were like, you know, we should just do what like India and Pakistan and these these places do, which is like basically threaten people if they're going to step outside of their house, like the people that don't take it seriously. It's a little bit funny because, you know, we have the distance from it. But, you know, it, it's true, like in India and in places like in India and Pakistan and in China and other places in the mm-hmm. world, they have more kind of dictatorial regimes. In which, in which the government uh, government officials have a lot more power, the police have a lot more power, the army has a lot more power, right? So they can, you know, they at a baseline, they already have this like uh, culture and society set up for you must listen to authority. But I think that it's dangerous to think about that happening here, right? Absolutely. Um, because, you know, we, we have to think about how does this change what a government can tell us to do in the future in situations like this, right? So the response in China, for example, right? Mm-hmm. They they shut literally shut everything down, mm-hmm. and and you can't oppose that government, right? For fear of your life. And does that now start to creep into what we call more democratic societies in the West? That kind of to contain a contagion. Is this now our new normal? Like, wh- wh- what is the slope that we're on now? in terms of stifling our rights and freedoms. And oftentimes, I bring this point up because oftentimes we think of these things happening only there, but that's yeah, not true. Yeah. Like in Toronto, they they were talking about tracking cell phone data. I don't actually- Surveilling cell phones. To see, to see whether people are actually following the quarantine rules or not. Yeah. Now to me, um, somebody who is uh, very concerned about privacy when it comes to like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, 
I don't think that the government is free from that criticism either. Absolutely. And to what you're saying, I think government overreach is also the legitimacy of government overreach is different. So what's a normal in another society, in another country, because that's where government overreach, overreach is legitimized, right? So surveillance in China doesn't naturally mean that surveillance here will have the same A, the same kind of support. And it's okay because it's funny, Prime Minister Trudeau was speaking about whether parliament should convene in a pandemic like this because they were voting on the the bill to provide um, uh, wage subsidies, yeah. right? And they wanted to vote on that. And the, the conservative... They needed the to change to the... Absolutely. So the conservative criticism was that uh, parliament should convene formally, physically, because parliamentary process is uh, paramount in any sort of uh, democracy. And Trudeau's argument was that it's kind of uh, telling that we're talking about democratic principles when people are suffering, right? So that's the 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 approach that a government can take, that exactly. government overreach is okay because there is a more pressing matter at hand. Exactly. But to me, um, I don't see those things as mutually exclusive. And I think obviously they backtracked on any sort of surveillance that was even hinted at in the beginning. And there was... Uh, uh, obviously, that was nipped in the bud that there won't be any sort of cell phone surveillance of people where they are, like uh, geolocation in terms of whether they're at home, how far they are from their home, etc. Right? There's all these other aspects to that. But I think this also talks about what, how governments think, right? How people in power think that even in a pandemic, and I'm not trying to say that's what our governments are doing, but it's interesting to me that that's what the government mindset is, that use this as an opportunity to kind of push the boundaries of the power that we can we can exercise and exert, right? The other discussion was about um, unfettered use of uh, public funding or uh, uh, taxing people without any sort of uh, parliamentary protocol. So what's fascinating to me is that even in a time of crisis, what governments are thinking about is how do they they push their own uh, footprint in terms of yeah, trespassing on um, and I think, uh, you know, the counter argument to this technological solutions uh, uh, discussion um, and like tracking our geo data and all that stuff is, well, people are not listening. People are not taking it seriously, blah, blah, blah. But to me, that signals an actually a, a bigger problem. And that to, to me signals um, a lack of trust in our institutions. Absolutely. And a lack of trust Absolutely. in like scientific data. So to me, yeah. it's not like the solution is not tracking people's cell phone. To me, the solution is making people understand that Absolutely. we need to trust uh, the experts that are, that are in charge of these things. But um, we're in a very particular situation in our society right now. We're in a very particular place where I think that trust in um, in our institutions and in our elected officials is very, very quickly eroding, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and to me, if you want people to, to, to listen to you, you need to give them a reason to listen to you. And I think that to me should be the norm because even uh, uh, the provincial press conference every day, you have Dr. Aruda, who's the uh, Director General of Public Health, or the highest officer of public health in the province sits next to the province's premier and the health minister, and they talk as if they're equals and they are addressing a, any sort of problems or questions that come up. So I think that should be the norm so that anybody who is not just a politician. Justin Trudeau says this in his press conferences like, I'm just a politician. Like, let's talk to. We have to listen. Yeah, exactly. We have to listen to our, uh, our professionals, our healthcare professionals. And I think that should be how, because I think in the end, yes, this is not maybe not the best time to to work on uh, public trust in government institutions. But I think this is an important uh, time in our history, in the history of the world, that we need to rethink all of these. Uh, this this also is broken in our society. We don't trust our government. That's why we yeah. will not trust, I will not trust my government to surveil me to make sure that my 
uh, geolocation is known to them just to, so that my health is protected, right? It takes away the not only my rights as a citizen, but I don't even know how the data is going to be used. So there's transparency exactly. issues. Exactly. Right? So because I don't trust my government, I don't trust that the, my government is transparent, I will not give up those rights no matter what. Yeah. Um, and again, this debate will continue. Hopefully, there'll be a, a larger discussion around it. Uh, because if, for me, and we've talked about it in the last episode as well, it'd be interesting to see how society kind of exits from this crisis. Yeah. And exactly. again, like I think hopefully that all those discussions will continue and we'll come out of this uh, redefining a status quo, hopefully. Uh, I've been investing or I've been spending my time doing a lot of... Uh, TV watching, a bit of reading here and there, and uh, I started watching Schitt's Creek yesterday. I'm obviously late in the game. I really love the show. I watched the first season. I yeah. didn't watch it yesterday. Uh, loved it. What have you been watching, reading? Anything that's not um, contagion or pandemic related is what is on this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I won't. Like, I will not. I will not watch anything right now that is a dystopian future. Um, okay. That's, because, that's pretty valid. That's well, pretty I need valid. to protect my mental health, right? Because like Absolutely. last week, I think it was, I had a, like a near breakdown where I had to stop. I just had to stop because I didn't know. We're talking about where the world goes. Like I just had so much anxiety uh, 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 around it. So I'm watching things like Doctor Who and Torchwood and Harry Potter and like okay. things that are light and positive and remind me to just, you know, be hopeful. Okay, and then cheesy Bollywood drama definitely has to be added to the list. I haven't been watching the Bollywood stuff. So I am my mom and I. We watched uh, Kabi Kushi Kabi Gum, this oh 2002 movie, three Classic. and a half hours of Classic. family drama, patriarchy, crying, and songs. So that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I hadn't watched it in a while. Uh, we also watched, I think, a bit of our classic, like Forrest Gump is mine. I always go back to Forrest Gump. Oh. Yeah, I really like that film. I also have been reading, uh, trying to read a lot more. Um, but uh, one book that I was given for my birthday by you was uh, Girl, Woman, Other uh, by Brilliant Bernadette book. Brilliant book, yeah. Very, very good. I mean, it's like kind of vignettes of uh, uh, Black British women. Women of color, um, yeah. And they sort of, it sort of tells uh, uh, the narratives of all of these people and that's kind of intergenerational and their stories are linked and tied together. I haven't gone through the whole thing, but I got to tell you, it's a beautiful book. I mean, it's beautiful. I highly recommend. I think it won a man book, the man booker last year. It was year. the the co-winner of the man booker last year. Yes. So um, beautifully written and With, it's been uh, even more inspired to kind of um, read more of uh, literature, which is something that I'm really passionate about. And, and, um, it's given this, this time away from like everyone in society has given me time to sort of reflect on things that I want to write more about. So that's what I've been thinking about. In, in conclusion, I'd just like to say that I, I hope that everyone's uh, taking time to just stay safe, uh, reflect and again, spend time with family, friends as much as uh, you can. And I know people keep in touch, but always keep in touch with I try to keep in touch with all my friends. I've been talking to so many friends from India. People have kind of just called randomly to check in. So that's been really lovely. I really appreciate that. Um, so stay safe, stay positive. Uh, we're all in this together. Uh, I think that's also an important uh, thing that I've yeah. realized. Everyone's in this together. So. Yeah. And uh, I'd be interested to hear how everyone else is listening to this and getting through um, physical distancing. So tell us your stories, tell us what you're doing um, and uh, your strategies and things like that. You can find us on socials at EthnicVoteMTL. So we hope to see you there. Bye.
The Ethnic Vote is hosted and created by Shazma Abdullah and Karan Singh and produced and edited by Alexandra Jureko. Music is Rewind by Jay Someday.